I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. 2 Samuel 24 Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey, sharing music and devotional resources by those who support the teaching of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, The Wells. My name is Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Glad to be serving as your host for this episode. This is episode number 151. King David had to once decide which punishment he would face for his sin. He had taken pride in his army's strength and needed God's discipline. The consequences were listed. David was given the options of famine, war, or plague. Though he dreaded the thought of the oncoming suffering, he opted for the plague. I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. 2 Samuel 24, verse 14. God's control seemed easiest for David to see during a plague rather than the other options. God holds authority and control over more than disease. David knew the Lord holds authority over warring nations, the growth of crops, and disease. Even today's highest and most powerful rulers are forced to remember this truth. God is in charge. God is always in control of all things, whether they bring us prosperity or disaster. He showed this truth to David. It may have seemed like things were out of control as the plague spread across Israel. Many were fearful and panicked. But God still held all authority and was in control. It says, The Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough, withdraw your hand. That's 2 Samuel 24, verse 16. One comfort in disaster is knowing that the Lord remains in control. But the most comforting truth in disaster is that the God who is so great in power is so great in mercy. His plan was to show mercy to helpless sinners. It may have seemed like things were out of control when the Son of God cried in agony and gave up his spirit on the cross. But the darkness of that day was all part of his plan to take every disaster and curse deserved by every sinner. He did it for us, once for all. When the punishment was dealt in full, he said it was enough and withdrew the curse. The Lord let it fall all on Jesus instead of sinners. He has assured all people of his power and mercy by raising his son from the grave. Jesus now lives crowned with glory, honor, and holds all authority. Because Jesus showed his authority over sin, demons, and death, we have no cause for any fear. This will always be true, whether it be the weather and crops, the warring nations around us, or the worldwide pandemic spreading today. The spread of illness certainly shows all people how powerless we are without God's constant aid, And it reminds us how fearful we can be without knowing his mercy. But our comfort 
in war, bad weather, and worldwide fear of disease, is that we are still in the Lord's powerful and merciful hands. That isn't always easy to see or understand, but by faith we know we are always in His hands. He wears the crown, not a virus with a crown-shaped structure, and no matter what trials or troubles we must go through, we will still receive the crown of life and live with Him forever, free from all troubles. Let us fall into His hands and take refuge there, for His mercy is great. This next song is from Martin Luther College Choir's album, The Gospel in Song, called I Will Rise.
next, God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith, as he takes us through the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 1, verses 2 and 3. Let's start with verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring an animal as an offering from the herd or the flock. In Exodus, the Holy Spirit emphasized Moses' role as the mediator or go-between who was to instruct God's people in God's word. He was to warn them, consecrate them, teach them, and speak to them in God's place. In this way, Moses was a type of Christ, an image of what Jesus would be for all mankind. But where Moses fell short, Jesus was perfect. The word for offering here is korban, the same word used by Jesus in Mark 7:11, korban, that is a gift devoted to God. In this case, God is not yet describing any particular offering, those begin with the next verse, but offerings in general. If an offering was an animal, it was to be from the herd or the flock. There were a number of animals that were clean to the Israelites, that is, suitable for eating, but which were not permitted as sacrifices. For example, of the animals found in lakes, seas, and streams, any fish with scales and fins was permitted as food, but not as a sacrifice. Of the birds, any bird that did not eat carrion or other birds or fish was permitted as food. In other words, Most songbirds and what we would call game birds like quail, chickens, geese, and so forth. However, only doves or pigeons were permitted for sacrifice with one possible exception. We'll talk more about that in chapter 14. Certain insects were permitted as food like crickets and grasshoppers, but not as sacrifices. The Lord also permitted his people to eat mammals that chew the cud and have a split hoof. This usually means the ox or cow and the sheep and the goat. But a list of seven additional clean animals is mentioned in Deuteronomy 14.5. The deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And that last animal, which is Hebrew uh, 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 zemer, is identified by some Jewish scholars as the giraffe, which also meets the qualification of split hoof, choose the cud. And several ancient Jewish scholars and the Greek Septuagint makes this make this identification, calling it the camelopardalus, or giraffe. Of these, only those animals kept by Israelites in herds, cattle, sheep, and goats, were permitted as sacrifices. Allowing only herd animals to be sacrifices might have had two purposes. First, it meant that the usual sacrifices were to be easily found, since they were the domestic animals herded by the people of Canaan, in the same way the elements of our New Testament sacraments are also commonplace, bread, water, or, or yeah, uh, water, bread, and wine. And second, making a sacrifice meant an expense. It meant taking an animal from one's own herd or buying it from someone else. A worshiper couldn't just catch some wild gazelle and bring it into the sanctuary. In addition, wild animals would be far more difficult to catch alive and bring to the altar. Only domestic animals could be easily led to the slaughter. An exception, as we shall see, was the dove, and more about that in verse 14 of this chapter. For this brief introduction to the idea of sacrifices, we can consider the value of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Just as the offerings of the Jews were to be specific animals, not just any creatures, but specifically selected according to the will and command of God and according to God's holy standards, so also Jesus was not just any sacrifice, nor just any man. Jesus Christ was specially selected by God the Father himself, 
given by God. This was done according to God's will. Jesus said, may your will be done. It was also according to God's command. Jesus said, I lay it down, I lay my life down of my own accord. This command I received from my Father. And Jesus met all of the Father's holy standards. Paul said, what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own Son, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met. His atoning sacrifice paid for all sins of all mankind for all time. Let's go on to verse 3. If his offering is a whole burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without defect. He will offer it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that he may be acceptable to the Lord. Now, sacrifices had been going on ever since Cain brought some of his harvest as an offering and Abel brought some of his flock. But now, at Mount Sinai, the Lord regulated the offerings of the people. They were not going to be able to bring just anything as a sacrifice. They were going to be, there were going to be four kinds of animal sacrifices and an additional fifth unbloody sacrifice, the grain offering. Two of the animal sacrifices would express Israel's covenant relationship with God, and the other two could be used to restore that relationship when it was broken by sin. God introduces these offerings with the one performed twice every day as the evening and morning sacrifice, the olah, or burnt offering, whole burnt offering. Now the word olah comes from a verb meaning to go up, as in he saw smoke rising in Genesis 19.28. That's actually Abraham looking at the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah. As a noun, it refers to any sacrifice which is completely burned up as an offering to the Lord. More than one kind of whole burnt offering was allowed, but here we learn that if it was to be from the herd, that is, one of Israel's cattle, then it had to be a perfect male, one with no sickness, not lame or stunted. Something we notice in this verse uh, is that the priests of Israel are not yet mentioned, not until verse 5. The man or woman, women, were permitted to bring sacrifices, uh, who brought the animal would lead the creature through the camp, enter the tabernacle, that is the enclosed worship area that's surrounding the tent of meeting, and then bring the animal to the altar for sacrifice. Without defect doesn't mean that they had to wash the mud from its hooves or brush its hair, although perhaps some did. No, the animal was simply to be tamim, which means sound and without defect. Our Hebrew lexicon says that this means the animal was to have integrity. It had to be healthy in every way. This was an animal that was going to be taken to the temple, killed, cut up, and burned completely. No one would eat any of it, and the hide wouldn't be saved to be used as leather or vellum. So there would be a temptation, perhaps, to bring one of the weaker or smaller animals to be sacrificed. Why use a good one? Because the Lord demanded a good animal, one that was whole and healthy. Jesus, our sacrifice, was more than just whole and healthy. He was perfect in every way. He was declared to be innocent three times by Pontius Pilate, and the emphasis in Hebrews is of the perfect, sinless, physical body of Christ as the offering for our sins. Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. He was and is perfect, and by the one sacrifice, he has been made perfect forever. Or rather, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's Hebrews 10.14. You are made holy through Jesus' perfect sacrifice. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This next devotion is 
written by Pastor Mark Falk. It's based on 1 Peter 4, 12-17. Don't be surprised. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, and so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as a thief or any other kind of criminal, even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter saw the horizon, and on the horizon was persecution. James had been martyred in Jerusalem. Paul had been taken to Rome for trial. The power of the empire was beginning to line up against God's people. In fact, the present tense of verse 12 indicates the hatred of Jesus and his people was becoming a present experience. Nero would soon cause the death of many. And for more than a century, being a child of God in the Roman world would be dangerous. Rome's rule and the Pax Romana had made the spread of the gospel speedy and relatively safe. That was changing. God's people are learning what it means to participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. As we feel the American scene shifting, we can only wonder when it may become dangerous to be a true child of God. Already slander and hatred pour out against believers. Evil is near, never willing to have a place alongside faith and truth. It always wants to rule. Do we doubt that Islam, if it should overtake this land, would put pressure on Christians to bow to Allah? Do we sense how the militant, how militant the gay movement is and how angry at those who preach against their perversion? Over 30 years ago, I interviewed a gay Greek Orthodox priest. His view came through in his words. Being gay was not only equal, it was superior. I have read somewhere that the Italian priest felt great guilt because they had not warned their people of the hard times to come in World War II. We do not want to repeat their error. Throughout history, God's people have suffered with Jesus. That suffering, in America, has consisted mostly of ridicule and laughter, perhaps also being denied a place among the social elite. It seems inconceivable, but it becomes far worse. There's already a movement to classify the preaching of God's word of condemnation against sexual perversion as hate speech. Are we willing to suffer the indignities of today? If not, then what of the real persecution of tomorrow? And why should we endure such things, when simply keeping our mouths shut and pretending to agree with the falsehood would spare us? Of course, there are the words of Jesus that those who deny him here, he will deny before his Father, and those who confess him he will lift up. And then there's this, when Christians suffer for the name, they know that they will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter was not speaking in the abstract. Acts, 5's, Acts chapter 5 sees the apostles called before the Sanhedrin. They are flogged for preaching Jesus. Flogging is no light punishment. Their response? Acts 5 reads, 
they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Our suffering with Christ may confuse us. Clearly our suffering does not win or earn our place in heaven. It cannot atone for our sins. Christ has fully paid for all our wrongs. Suffering, however, is part of the mysterious process by which God takes us from this life to the next wonderful life in heaven. When it happens, let us remember the words of Peter. Do not be surprised. And you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We'll close with a song by Koine, the Lord's Prayer.
You have been listening to Cane and Bound Podcast, episode number 151. This podcast was first shared in March of 2020. For more information, visit CaneandBoundPodcast.com. We encourage you to visit a Wells ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. And remember his promised rest. <laughs>